Well, if you brought a Bible this morning, let's turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, um, Jesus finds a man um, who can truly see even though he was blind. And then we'll see others, we'll encounter others in this chapter who are truly blind even though they could physically see. And so Jesus, he continues to carry out this theme of being light of the world. And this morning we will see that the light of the world has the power to give sight to the blind. Um, Last week we talked about um, how in John's gospel we see these seven I am statements. John uses the number seven a lot. And here we've seen, um, we're going to see seven signs in John's gospel. Today we see the sixth of these seven signs. Um, And so let's pray as we uh, see Jesus, this light of the world, giving um, light into the world. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that that you would give us eyes to see this morning, that as we walked in here, able to physically see, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm guessing there are some in here that spiritually cannot see, that they are still blind, and Lord, I pray you'd open up their eyes, pray you'd help us to see you for who you are, uh, that we would uh, surrender it all to you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be made much of uh, this morning. I pray that, um, that we be in awe of your power and might, and may we just run to you this morning. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, John writes this, as he, this is Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So here in verse 1, Jesus encounters yet another unnamed character in John's gospel. We've seen this. It's kind of the pattern. There's the woman at the well. There was the lame man by the pool. So this is kind of a pattern we see um, where um, John leaves out the name of this individual. And I think by leaving out the man's name, John is reminding us that we are not the main character in the story. We struggle with that, don't we? We like to be the most important person in the world. And John is reminding us that we are not that individual. John doesn't want to take any attention or any fame, any glory away from Jesus. So we don't know the man's name, but we do learn that he was blind from birth. And his blindness led the disciples to ask a question to Jesus. Rabbi, who who sinned? Was it this man? Did he do something bad? Is that why he's blind? Or was it his parents' sin and now... This man is kind of, you know, the outcome of his parents' sin. Well, this is a question that many still ask today. And now I remember as a child, my mom, we didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. My mom didn't have theology, you know, good theology. Um, but I remember even as a child, she would say, like, if we'd see someone um, with maybe special needs or something, she'd say, now you never make fun of someone with special needs. And it wasn't because that was you know, not glorifying the Lord, it was because something bad could happen to you. It would be like, well, you don't make fun of them with special needs because, you know, when you have a child one day, it could have special needs. Like, that's a punishment for you. And those of you who have special needs kids, you know, like, it's one of the greatest joys in the world. And, and so, but that's kind of thinking of a lot of people. Uh, we think that, you know, that God has like this mechanical type of way of dealing with us. Like, Bad people get bad things, good people get good things. And so this is 
the question that we often deal with. It's a little different than this. It's not, you know, why, you know who sinned, this man or his parents, um, that he was born blind. We get things like, why do good things happen to certain people? Why do bad things happen to certain people? Um, and so sometimes we have this mechanical way of thinking God deals with us, like good people get heaven, bad people get hell. And I think we're influenced by other areas um, of our lives, so we begin to bring those experiences into our theology. Like, for example, this is kind of what happens with school. You know, you study, you work hard. If you get good grades, then you usually get the good job. If you don't get good grades, then you don't get the job. Um, This could be at work. You know, if you do a good job at work, then you're the one who usually gets the promotion. And I see this sometimes even with parenting. Um, If the kids turn out well, others look at you and they go, wow, what great parents you are. Uh, And then you ask the parents, like, how or like, what did you do, like, for your kids to all love the Lord, turn out so great? And they just, usually they're like, I have no idea. It's like the grace of the Lord. Like, I I don't know. I'm not sure how they turn out so great. It's, It's because God is gracious and kind. But because we think that way in so many other areas, it makes sense that we'd apply that same type of logic to how God works. But this isn't how God always works. In the very next verse, we actually learn why this man was born blind, but it had nothing to do with his sin or his parents. That kind of thinking falls in more with like karma. So there's not a Christian karma. Now, I will say there are definitely times where someone could do something sinful and it could lead to some terrible situation. This would be more what the Bible calls reaping what you sow. Reaping what you sow is different from karma, though. Like, reaping what you sow, this would be like when someone lives a promiscuous life, and then they test positive for an STD. That's reaping what you sow. And then there's just a simple truth that not all suffering, or excuse me, that all suffering is um, related to the fall. And so the consequences of sin do not necessarily have to be directly tied to some individual sin. There's just, because of fall, we see suffering and pain in our world. The disciples' question about this man's sin, it actually reveals this legalistic um, view um, of their life. Legalism is an attempt to earn God's favor through our own good deeds. That's legalism. We do enough good and... God finds favor in us. And so a legalist operates under the assumption that people earn or keep God's favor through good deeds. So what happens is legalists begin to view themselves as deserving certain blessings. You know, if if I can earn God's favor by my good works, then the more good works I do, then what? Well, God owes me more good things. He'll continue to, to bless me. I do good. He does he, he, you know, he honors that. He must reward my good works, the legalist would say, with good things. If something bad happens to me, then it's because I did something bad or I, had, I didn't have enough faith. We all can fall into that type of thinking at times, right? Like We, we, we struggle from maybe varying different degrees on how this all works out. Like... Um, you know, how, how do you process suffering? I'm sure there's a, there's a moment, at least, when, you're, when you receive it, like, what did I do wrong, Lord? Like, why, why am I being punished? 
But, but this, this man's blindness has nothing to do with his sin or his parents. It's not the lack of his good deeds. It's not a lack of faith. As we look to verse 3, his blindness had a far greater purpose. And this is, this is hard stuff this morning. This is hard to think about. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am light of the world. This man's blindness was not a punishment from God. It wasn't because he had sinned or his parents had sinned. His blindness was being used to display the power of God. God had a plan to heal this man, and the healing would bring glory to God. Um, And so what is your default? When you see suffering, how do you work through that? What's the prism? What's the worldview you use? It's crazy how I can know the truths of John 9. You know, I I know this, that my sin doesn't necessarily cause my sufferings, yet when a trial comes in my life, I still struggle with all these questions. I'm guessing you're probably not much different. I still have to work through the questions like, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? Haven't you noticed all the good things I'm doing for you? Like, Come on, Lord, like, help me out. I'm doing all this good stuff. Shouldn't then you help me out with good things? But I often neglect to think about how or what God may be doing in or through my life by bringing this trial. It's like my goal is just to get all the suffering to stop as quickly as possible. And when I do that, I I could be missing God's bigger purpose that he had in mind for my suffering. So we, we often don't think that way, do we? We just want it to stop, just end, get out of here, leave us alone. But then sometimes we're going to miss like this greater purpose God has for our suffering. God may be doing a work in our lives that we wouldn't believe even if he told us. And Jesus tells them in verse 5 that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In chapter 8, he began to publicly say, this is what we saw last week, that he was equal to God. And this is why the Jews, they wanted to kill him. The Jews had been looking for the Son of Man, you know, this, this Christ figure, this Messiah. Here comes Jesus claiming to be that figure, saying he is light of the world. And they begin to get upset. Um, I'm sure some of them realize what he's doing. They know certain passages that prophesy about this Messiah, passages like Isaiah 42. Isaiah um, 42, verse 6 says this. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Now think about this in light of these last few chapters in this morning. It says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, Verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring about the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So here's this play on darkness and light. And he's, he's saying, I'm the Lord. So here, this figure of Isaiah 42 saying, he, you know, he's the Lord. He's opening up the eyes of the blind. Now here in John 9, he's opening the eyes of the blind. 
And, and so he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecies here. And then Jesus does something very interesting in verse 6. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, Jesus' method of healing here is quite interesting, isn't it? He could have just healed the man, right? We, we've seen this happen before. Like, think back to chapter 4. The official comes to Jesus. He wants Jesus to come back to his hometown so he could heal his son who was sick. Jesus just simply tells him to go home, that his son has been healed. Doesn't even, doesn't even see the boy. Just, he's miles away. Just says, go home. He's, he's better. As the man is going back home, his servant comes out to meet him, lets him know that his son had recovered. And he said, you know, about what time was he getting better? The official realized that was about the same time that Jesus said, your son is well. Go home. Chapter 5. You see the, uh, the lame man who had been um, an invalid for 38 years, laying by the pool. Jesus just tells him to get up, take up your bed and walk, and he does. He doesn't, he doesn't need to put any kind of ointment on his legs. He just speaks to his legs, and those legs listen. So why does Jesus choose to use this method this time? Well, John doesn't come straight out and tell us, so we don't really know for sure. But at, at least it shows us that Jesus is in complete control. That he's not limited in powers. He can be far away. He can be close. He can touch you. He doesn't have to. You can't stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do. And we know there's nothing magical in the mud because we've seen him you know, heal without mud before, like the lame man by the pool. He didn't have to spit on the ground, make some mud, put it on his legs, have him go wash in the pool. So this is just this is a unique sign here in John 9. And as I look at this sign, there's a couple of things that stand out to me about this healing. First, just the fact that he, he uses mud. I mean, put yourself in the blind man's shoes, okay, just for a moment. You're there. You're in the story. You can, you can hear. You can't see anything. So maybe just close your eyes right now. Just put yourself in this situation. He's blind, but he's not deaf. So he could hear the sound of someone spitting, right? You know that sound? Someone clearing the throat maybe, hawking a loogie. The moments later, you feel that same someone Touching your eyes with, with what you think to be is mud. Now, there's only two ingredients you need for mud, right? Dirt and then some type of liquid. You just heard this stranger spit. Okay, he's a stranger. He doesn't know him. He spits, and then next you feel mud. You're like, what in the world is going on here? Who is this guy? What are you doing? And this is not like when your mom, you know, spits or licks a napkin then cleans your face off, you know what I mean? Like, like when you're a kid, like, it's still gross, but it's your mom, you know, what are you going to do? Your mom gets a pass. This is some stranger. And you're not a kid, you're a man. 
Now, now it's true in the first century that people believe saliva had some medicinal purposes. That, that, that you could use it for, you know, for like a, you know, like a balm or something. So maybe this is what Jesus was doing. But again, the saliva wasn't what healed the man. So he didn't, it's not like he needed it. So you got that going on. Then the second thing I find interesting about this healing is, is why was the healing not instant? You know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you just say, you know, eyes, be better. And the eyes would just be better. You know, see. And he just starts to see. But he tells the man to go, tells the blind man to walk, which I think is a bit dangerous, right? I mean, he could have just told told him just, you know, you're better, you know, just let me wash your eyes right here. Why the pool? I, I can remember in 2001 getting laser eye surgery. And, and I remember um, my eyes, they were, they were pretty bad. Uh, I wasn't legally blind, but I was blind by all purposes. Like, I couldn't see the big E. You know what I mean? Like when you go get your eyes test and there's the big E. I, could, I knew it was the big E because everyone knows it's the big E. But I couldn't read it, if I'm just being honest. Uh, the surgery takes about five minutes per eye. So you're laying there, and the surgeon's working on your eye. Um, it's kind of gross. You kind of smells like burnt hair. That's what you smell. That's, that's your flesh was being burned, okay? And so um, it takes about five minutes per eye. Um, but I remember when we, he was done, he, he raised me up out of the chair, and there was just a clock on the wall. And he said, look at the clock. It was perfect. I mean, I, I was blind, but just like that, I could see. Uh, and, and so Jesus could have just spoken to the man's eyes, and they'd have been 2020. They could have been better than 2020. But instead, he has the man to walk to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and then he has him wash. Now, I have no idea why Jesus chose this method, but it does show us something amazing about this man. The fact that he went, is what the text says, that he went, was a physical display of this man's faith, right? I mean, some stranger, you know, rubs some mud on your eye and tells you to go wash. You could just, whatever, dude. I'm not doing that. Get your nasty hands off me. But yet, this man trusts himself to Jesus. He had faith in a complete stranger. And immediately after he washes, he can see. Now think about it for a second. Here's a man who's born blind, who can now see for the very first time in his life. How cool was that? Now, some of you know this about me. You know I don't do much social media. Uh, it, it, it's, social media is usually this big dumpster fire, a waste of time. But I think the Lord gave us social media for two reasons. One, for funny animal videos, okay? Second, for those stories that make you cry, those inspirational stories. Um, you know, I've seen a few videos where, like, these babies, toddlers, they, they weren't blind, but they couldn't see at all. Everything was kind of just blurry, and, and then, like, you see them at the doctor's office when they first get glasses. Have you seen those? And then they put the glasses on the baby, and, and then, like, the baby sees the mom for the first time and just gets excited. I mean, I, I just, like, yeah, I'm okay. I got to keep scrolling. Like, I'm good. 
So think about this. This is the first time this dude could see. And we don't know how old he is. I mean, he's, the text tells us a little later that he's of age. So he's at least 13, 14, 15, 16, at least. He's probably much older. And for the first time, he sees his mom and dad. This is pretty cool. He sees all the different colors. For the first time in his life, he doesn't just feel the sun. Like I love in the spring, like when you first come outside from that winter and you can feel the sun on you. This is the first time he doesn't just feel the sun, but he sees the sun hanging in the sky. For years, he's heard the rustling of the leaves, but now he sees them. Oh, that's what that is. Jesus' amazing power makes this man see. It's incredible. Now, remember, it's not the ingredients of the dirt and the saliva. It's not the chemicals in the pool of Siloam, nor even the man's obedience. It's the power of Jesus. This man could do nothing to make himself see. The only thing he could do was do what Jesus said. Now, you can imagine the buzz. Like, now, okay, this guy sees... He isn't, you know, he's been blind since birth. People are starting to hear. There's a buzz around town. You know, the, the, late, the, the local neighborhood man who can now see. You know, what's going on? Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Now, typically beggars would have a spot. That would, they would kind of claim it. It would be theirs. People would get used to them, feel empathy towards them. They would give them alms. So now people are a bit confused. I know I just saw this man this morning. How could this be that man? Verse 9, some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is like him. He kept saying, no, I, I, I'm the man. It's me. Believe me. Now, notice the irony here. The neighbors are the ones who don't recognize him. If anyone should not recognize their neighbors, it should be the man who was blind from birth, right? He could have lived next door to someone his entire life, received this healing, saw his next door neighbor at the market and have absolutely no idea that was his next door neighbor, right? But here, the neighbors are the ones who don't recognize him. The neighbors are the ones who would look different. The blind man's looks haven't changed. The only thing that has changed is now this man looks. Verse 10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud. Notice he leaves out how he made mud. And anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and, and wash so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So here, the Sabbath is brought up again. If you've been coming through this series, you see like these signs that Jesus will do, these signs or miracles happen often on the Sabbath. So here again, 
And, and notice the, the neighbors brought him to the Pharisees, and we get to see the Pharisees' reaction. They, they see this guy who'd been born blind. Now he sees. But notice these are the religious guys. Notice the response wasn't, well, praise God, hallelujah. I'm so excited for you. You've been healed. But rather it's, he healed you? On the Sabbath? The nerve. That man is not from, from God. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such shines? And there was a division among them. So it seems like the them here is now referring to the Pharisees, that, that even the Pharisees are becoming torn of who Jesus is. Maybe men like Nicodemus. They're beginning to, you know, maybe this is the Messiah. Verse 17, so they again, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? So they kind of put it in his, you know, who do you say he is? It's a question we all need to answer. Who do you say Christ is? Some of you are going to say, well, he's the guy that just helps me out when things are bad. He's the one I run to when, you know, I need help. Some of you say, he's my Lord and Savior. I don't care what, I don't care about any of the blessings. I just want Jesus. Jesus is the blessing. He is the treasure. So they ask him, who, who do you say he is? At this point, the man replies, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Then we have some comment here, some, some notes here. John leaves us in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So even before the church begins to spread, like in the book of Acts, we see that there is a risk to following Jesus. If anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. This was huge. Being excommunicated from the synagogue would be a death penalty for you socially, economically, and spiritually. So the parents... They're trying to answer the question, but being very cautious not to be ostracized. They basically say, that man, that's my son. That is true. He was born blind. But how he got his sight restored, I don't know. You got to ask him. We don't know. We weren't there. So of age meant that he was not a child anymore, meaning he didn't need his mom and dad if you know, if he wasn't blind, maybe he could be out on his own. Maybe he is out on his own already. We don't really know from this passage. But they're basically saying, he's old enough, you can ask him. So for the second time, verse 24, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, 
Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So the Pharisees, they try to bait him when they say, we know that this man is a sinner. They want him to agree. They just throw it out there and see if he bites. But rather than biting, he strikes back. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So he's either being sarcastic here, which is kind of the tone I just read, or he's truly excited about their desire to follow Jesus. I lean more towards it being sarcastic since he just said, I have told you already and you would not listen. Do you know anyone like that? You ever been in a conversation and, and they keep talking? You're like, I've been telling you. Like, you just won't listen. And so that's what's going on here. And maybe that's been like a religious conversation you've had with someone where, where like they at least pretend to be interested and you begin to have this conversation a few minutes go by you realize they could care less about anything you have to say. You're giving every question they ask, you give them a, a legit answer, but it's like they've already had their mind made up before you've even had the conversation. This is where we are with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are looking for every reason to not believe in Jesus. I mean, all, these, all the evidence is right there the Old Testament scriptures that they knew, these miracles that are pointing back to prophecies that he's fulfilling. I, I, I love apologetics. I love to read apologetics books, but I learned years ago that my apologetics is not going to save anyone who the Lord doesn't first stir their, stir their heart, open up their eyes to see. The Pharisees, they just keep coming back with some other excuse. No matter what happens, they just keep coming up with some other excuse. They just heard the testimony of a man who was born blind, who can now see. Then they heard the testimony of his neighbors, testimony of parents, and he continued to make excuse after excuse. So now they attack this man. Look at verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from, which is interesting because just a few chapters ago, they knew where he came from. So now they're saying they don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, why this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. See the pride in their hearts? <laughs> you would teach me? I'm a pastor. What could you teach me about God? 
See, their questioning implies that a sinner could never do these signs because God would not listen to them. The, mind, the blind man, he's saying, you're absolutely right. Only someone who is from God can do these things. That means Jesus must be from God. The man's using some really good logic here. He has the Pharisees backed into a corner. They can't dispute the miracle. I mean, there's just far too many witnesses, right? I mean, the testimonies of all these people. So they, they can't just, oh, that's not true. That didn't happen. Nor can they acknowledge that Jesus is from God. To do so would mean that they would lose their power and their influence. And they would have to make much of Jesus. So they're, they're kind of stuck here. We see here that those who think they see are blind to their own blindness. Are, are you catching what John's doing here? That the man who is blind is the one who can see, and those that can see are really the ones who are blind. You see what John's doing? They continue to reject the light because they live in and love their darkness. The blind man, however, sees what the Pharisees could not see, and so they cast him out. He had been an outcast his whole life due to his blindness, and now he's an outcast due to his sight. The irony here. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, I love that Jesus finds him. Aren't you glad that Jesus comes looks for us? We run, we rebel, but Jesus comes looking for the lost sheep. Jesus finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? You know, so far, when they said, who do you think he is, what was his answer? Well, we think he's a prophet. You know, the, some of these prophets from the Old Testament, they were the ones doing these miracles, like Elijah, Elisha. So he's like, I think he's a, he's a prophet. So Jesus is taking a little deeper. Yes, he is a prophet, but he's more than just a prophet. Do you believe he's the son of man? He answers, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. See, earlier in the day, this man could not see anything. But now he sees the Messiah. What an incredible day this man has had. Woke up blind, going to bed, seeing. Now, I don't want us to just think about seeing, because in these verses that we're reading now, we see a second healing in John 9 that we can often overlook. Yeah, he was blind, and he couldn't see, now he can see, but that's not the real issue with this man. Jesus doesn't want him just to be able to see and then still not be able to see. He wants him to see, truly see. And this is the second healing in John 9, and this is the more spectacular of the two. See, in the first healing, his eyes are physically opened. He could physically see, but then later in the day, his eyes were spiritually opened. He could spiritually see. See, a lot of people can see. They're still blind. But in verse 38, we, 
We know that he can truly see because he begins to worship. That's what happens when your eyes are truly open. You see Jesus for who he is. You can't do anything but worship him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus, he gives us one of his purposes for coming uh, to this earth. Becoming a man, this, the um, incarnation, like he, he has like, shows us his purpose here. What, what is his purpose in verse 39? Judgment. For judgment I came into this world. It's part of his purpose. He clearly shows us that there are just two types of people in the world. Those who can see and those who are blind. That's it. Two categories. It's not black and white, man, woman, rich, poor. But it's those who can see and those who are blind. Those who are found, those who are lost. Those who are sheep, those who are goats. Two groups of people, and Jesus will judge them for who they align themselves with. That's it. It's not those who have done a lot of good works and those who have done a lot of bad things. It's those who have surrendered to Jesus. He is the Lord. And then there are those that say, I don't think so. It's interesting how those who are blind are the ones who do not realize their need for Jesus. And those who have received sight are the ones who can actually see their darkness. The Pharisees thought they had it all together, that they had arrived. They knew the law. They kept the rules. Externally, they looked really good. Today, a lot of churches would make the Pharisees deacons, pastors, because they could play the part, talk the language. They'd serve on many committees, but yet they never dealt with the darkness in their hearts. What about you this morning? Have you ever dealt with the darkness in your heart? Have you confessed your sin to Christ today? As you've heard his word and he shines light into some dark places in your heart, do you confess those or do you just kind of push them aside? Where do you fit into this story? Are you one who can see? Do you see Jesus for who he truly is? Do you worship him? That's how you know. Or do you continue to question everything he does because you love the darkness? You don't want the light to shine in the darkness. Because that means things you might have to change. You don't want to change things. You like those areas of your life. And Jesus comes with this light Shines on all of your heart. All the darkness is exposed before him. You can't hide anything. And he wants you to confess it all, repent, leave it all, 
If you were once blind, but now you see. Now you have the role of like the pool. The pool was called Salome, which meant sent one. You are that now. You are the sent one. You are to go and tell others about what he has done for you. But you need to understand that aligning yourself with Jesus will be risky. You might be thrown out of certain social settings, maybe even passed over for certain jobs. But when you see Jesus for who he truly is, you won't care. You'll all be worth it. When it's all said and done, you picking Jesus is better than anything the world will take away from you. So who do you align yourself with this morning? Do you worship the one true King Jesus, or do you still want to walk in darkness? Um, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm just going to be standing over here in this um, back corner. If anybody wants to come pray about anything, maybe you've got some things going on in your life, I'd love just to pray with you. So let me pray as the band comes back up to lead us. Lord, we thank you for opening up our eyes. that we can truly see you for who you are. Lord, I, I know just with the amount of people in this room that there are probably still some here who are blind. Maybe they think they see, like the Pharisees thought they could see, but they are really blind to their own darkness. Lord, I pray that you would show them, that you would shine light onto their heart, that they could see their darkness, they'd be able to confess their sin and put their trust in you, just like this, this blind man did. So, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give them the faith to trust you. If that's you, if that's you, if you just need to confess your sin and pray, then whoever invited you, I'm sure they would love to talk with you and uh, pray with you. Um, If you don't have anyone to pray with, I would love to pray with you. So, um, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, have your way with our hearts. Uh, that we be obedient to you today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.